Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Dude, I am doing absolutely fantastic. I love making POV Crypto episodes. How about you, David? Yeah, no, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a ton of fun. It's like my favorite activity. It, it's, it's like some people play video games and I record POV Crypto episodes. Uh, it's, it's kind of a blessing that I get to do this so often. Thank you for doing it with me. Yeah, yeah. It's also a blessing that we have a sponsor for the podcast, the Haven Privacy app. Haven is this really cool app that it's cryptocurrency focused. It's like a crypto focused Craigslist type of an app. There's messaging on there. You have like four different cryptocurrency wallets, including Bitcoin, Zcash, Litecoin, Bcash. Uh, they're adding Ethereum to it. And this wallet uh, essentially is like a all-in-one privacy app. Kind of a cool idea that the makers of Haven kind of presented to me when they were telling me about it was they were like, so we have this idea of like, you can take all the junk in your house and you can post it on Haven and you can turn your junk into sats directly on Haven. So the app will help you stack sats with your junk. I thought it was pretty cool. I uh, wanted to tell you guys, get the Haven app and stack sats with your junk at home. Well, I just bought a drone on it, so I hope that's not junk. Um, I just bought it from some guy who is international. He said it's going to be here in 3 to 19 days. Hopefully it's here by the time we go camping. But yeah, I, I just asked Christian to Venmo me some, some uh, or no, I Venmoed Christian some money and Christian sent me some Bitcoin. Uh let it be known that, that Christian has more dirty fiat than he had the other day. Uh, and then I bought this drone on it, and it was super simple. And the coolest thing that I really like about it is that I don't need an email or a password to sign up because, you know, if you send if you have funds in your wallet, it knows you have funds in your wallet. So it's you don't really need to tag your identity. And that's the cool thing about crypto. Um, and so um, you just I just funded my wallet, and I purchased the the drone, and I uh, it's on its way here. It was super simple. It was I mean it's it's like Craigslist in the fact that you can list anything, but it's closer to like Amazon or eBay because a lot of this stuff is just like automated, and Craigslist a huge pain in the butt. Um, so huge fan of it so far. I hope I get my drone soon. Check out the Haven app. Download it on iOS or Android. We just recorded an interview before this, but we felt like we wanted to just hop on and and keep riffing. We didn't talk nearly enough about Ethereum during our last interview. What happened in the ETH world? Yeah, when it, when we first interviewed our first Decred guest, Luke, uh, I quickly learned that Decred doesn't give a fuck about Ethereum, so I didn't bring it up this time around. Um, Ethereum's, you know, pretty cool apart apart from the plummeting price. Um, hella MKR has has been burned lately. Uh, I think it's like four hundred MKR got burned in like the last two days. Um, which I mean, I always am super fascinated about. I think that's the first time I ever got into, I mean, I was into the world of cryptocurrency, but I was like public facing and I wrote an article that, uh, that people shared and read, and it was all about the analysis of MKR burns. And basically the thesis of the article was that, um, MKR gets burned, uh, during volatile times, either up price or, e or down price, but MKR doesn't get burned when ETH uh, price is flat. When ETH price is flat, no one is really managing their CDP. When ETH price goes up, people either take out loans or repay their loans and burn MKR. And then when ETH price goes down, people either get liquidated or they add collateral or they pay back their loan. One of the two, one of the three things, and two of those three things burn MKR. And so every time there's a massive change in ETH price, I always go look at how much MKR just got burned and like 10% got burned in the last few days. That was pretty interesting. It's kind of interesting to see how these uh, 
like kind of like automated burn models go into building these uh, incentive structures and if that sort of scarcity works and you know kind of creating some sort of a premium on the asset uh, I don't really know it I don't know like I'm not quite convinced yet but it seems like a lot of project MKR even potentially future ETH will um, incorporate this sort of like permanent burning as uh, as the network gets used totally and and I really think that I didn't specifically put this in my article but my most recent article the one illustrating ethereum as like this digital finance stack with different layers of financing as you go up right so you have proof of stake at the bottom then you have the ETH stake rate you have the die savings rate and then you have the borrow lend rates based on all the lending applications like compound and dydx what's not included in that is integrating integrating mkr because i think mkr and eth really have this uh yin and yang relationship uh and we saw mkr really go on its first bull market while ether was in the depth of its bear market like mkr went from 250 or 280 dollars to like 750 dollars while ether was at like uh you know 150 or something uh and it's it's because like like i said when when eth price goes down people have to burn mkr to save their cdps either by paying back die or um or they're getting liquidated and then hella mkr gets burned and so mkr fundamentals grow stronger when eth price goes down uh and then when eth price started to turn around when we came out of the depth of the bear market and eth went up to like 350 dollars mkr i mean it, it stayed flat usd but it went down 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 versus eth and it might have just been this mini speculative bubble where eth whales were looking for a place to man take get their gains while you know the bear market was on and then the bear market was off and then and then people sold their mkr for eth but like i really think there's this pit push pull dynamic between mkr and eth and i think that's going to be a really interesting metric that people follow into the future i feel like the mkr pump was really just the a16z pump and uh, a bunch of eth uh, eth investors saw that as like all right let's put some uh, let's put some chips on mkr forever the skeptic it couldn't possibly be the fundamentals, could it? Yeah, that's just no way. It has to be some whale. Is that's just how? Is that how the Bitcoiner view the view of the world? I mean, whales move Bitcoin price too. These markets are thin. But fundamentals move the Bitcoin price. The fundamentals are there. That's like A16Z bought into the fundamentals of MKR in the same way that they bought into the fundamentals of Bitcoin. Therefore, the pumps deserved. We'll see if it's sustained. I mean, honestly, MKR and DAI are, are two of the best projects in ETH. So as mm-hmm. a skeptic, I will say that for sure. DAI, if it gets more liquid, will be really, really interesting. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, again, that's why we have a podcast here. It's also mm-hmm. more interesting if I continue to be a skeptic. <laughs> the thing is we'll never know how much of a non-skeptic you are i don't you you put your your holding percentages on twitter the other day and it was uh two percent eth six percent decred and 92 percent bitcoin and the fact that you had more decred than eth just uh just staked through my heart so the first time i ever got into crypto i bought 500 dollars of bitcoin 300 dollars of ether and like a hundred dollars of litecoin mm-hmm. uh i have not bought eth since then <laughs> but i did spend two thousand dollars on an overpriced mining ring that i bought from david you're welcome yeah, david I, I did i did sell you and i should have just bought eth then yeah no you should have <laughs> it would have been way better for me to just buy eth instead of buying those rigs so uh-huh. that sunk cost is just slowly pumping away 
once again, I'm in this blessed position to have free electricity right now. So uh, I'm just going to take advantage of that. I'm not in any urgency to buy ETH. Yeah, so for those who don't know this story, uh, I got into the world of Ethereum versus, with mining. Uh, and me, uh, my current roommate and Christian thought about scaling up this operation, uh, because, you know, profits were insane. Because we're idiots. Yeah. And because we're newbies to crypto. Um, I mean, some people buy shit coins, some people get into mining. Uh, I did both. <laughs> uh, so we were going to scale up this mining operation. Uh, and, uh, we just couldn't get too many. We just couldn't get our friends on board. They just like, what, what the fuck is this shit? I'm going to buy this $5,000 miner and then I'm going to get what? So if I just dumped my miners on Bitcoin or excuse me on, on Christian and now Christian has them, but we get free electricity because we're sneaky. Christian, Christian is securing the Ethereum blockchain. So as much as, as much FUD as he throws out about Ethereum, he's still adding to its security. So thanks for that. For a while was dumping ETH for Bitcoin too. But yeah, but just making it right back. <laughs> How much ETH have you made lately? Oh, you don't have to answer that question. Not enough. <laughs> Not enough. Well, have you, have you been following ProgPal? No. Give us the update on that. I'm sure it's more interesting than the stupid Hyperledger announcement. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, so ProgPal is all about uh, a, uh, bricking ASICs, uh, and it's contentious because we don't really need to do it. And so it's it's kind of like subjective governance. Like, we don't really need to do it, but we did kind of promise that we were going to be GPU, uh, a GPU-mined blockchain. Uh, but then ASICs come around because that's what ASICs do. Uh, so ProgPow is designed to brick all the ASICs and restore control back to um, the GPUs. Uh, and some people are for this, mainly GPU miners. And most of the Ethereum community that I know of is against it. I'm relatively neutral, uh, maybe that's just because I was a miner and, uh, my friends are, are miners, my roommate and Christian here. Um, and I do kind of like Lol. the idea of, uh, a GPU only blockchain, uh, that, I mean, if Ethereum was never going to proof of stake, then I would definitely be, uh, for it, for bricking all ASICs and being a GPU focused blockchain. Um, but we are going to proof of stake, so it matters less. I'm a little salty about the miners still a little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. See, I get you to buy Bitcoin. I'm a good friend, and you dump your miners on me. Uh, well, I mean, this is the ETH bear market, so if you just you know sit on that ETH. Low time preference, guys. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm actually curious. Low time preference is a frequented topic in the Bitcoin community and something that stems from mm-hmm. kind of like Austrian thinking. Do people in Ethereum ever talk about low time preference? No. No, the first time I heard about it was uh, while reading the Bitcoin standard. And it was it was actually the part of the Bitcoin standard that I liked the most. Interesting. Wait, tell us more about the Bitcoin standard reading. <laughs> Can't you do that? I've been telling you guys this whole time. So I stopped reading it when it got into how Bitcoin works because I'm like, okay, well, I don't need this. Um the, it was the first two, th- first two thirds of the book that I thought was really interesting, just like economic and monetary history and uh, how Savedine thinks that the um, world of personal finance is an untouched arena of economics. Everyone talks about like micro and macro economics, where macro is like global economics and micro is person to person economics. But what he claims is not talked on, which is the biggest part about economics is how people, how individuals make decisions, economic decisions in their head that don't impact anyone else. Uh, that I thought was super cool. Um, but again, has nothing specifically to do to Bitcoin, but it does have to do to with hard money because the idea that 
if you have hard money, it extends your time preference, which means that you will think about your future version of your future self a much more future version of that self rather than the future version of yourself like 10 minutes from now. If you have a high time preference, which means you prefer uh, prefer the now, you're going to go out and buy McDonald's because it tastes good. If you have low time preference, you're going to go buy a grass-fed steak because it makes you healthy. It also still tastes good, but not as good as McDonald's. Uh, and so I really actually want to get Saifedean on here at some point in time because that, that concept is really interesting to me. Uh, he also extends it to art and music and just life in general. I think he, I mean, which is kind of a huge conspiracy theory, but I'm into it. And I really want to get him on the podcast to talk about that. And so Saifedean, if you're listening to this podcast, I know I'm an Ethereum guy, but I want to talk to you about that. I am a carnivore. I'm like on the verge of keto right now getting into ketosis, uh, I kind of hop out in and out. So like we can at least, uh, come to consensus about that. Yeah. So I hung out with Saifedean a little bit in Dallas, Texas for BitBlock boom. He was signing copies of the Bitcoin standard. So I actually got one signed for you, David. Um, and he no said, shit. even if you get in too late, it's not that late. So it's never too late to get into Bitcoin, baby. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You didn't tell him it was for me though, right? No, I did. Yeah, I was like, "There's oh my god, head friend." He'll we'll get him on the podcast. Yeah, he'll get on. He he's actually I think he recently did like a five part series with Trace Mayer on Austrian economics. Highly recommend that you guys listen to it. Even you ETH heads, it's less uh, focused around Bitcoin and more focused around Austrian economics, the macro. Just like David said, the Bitcoin standard is actually mostly about um, safety uh, teaching. At least his take on Austrian economics. Very good web series, and I think uh, eventually. He will be enticed onto the show. POV Crypto has a gravitational pull of all content, all good yeah. content. Yeah, I mean, hey, this is probably going to go out before uh, the interview I'm referencing, but we got someone that Laura Shin could not. Let's go. The first of many. Sorry, Laura Shin, but your podcasts were not are not as interesting as they once were. Dude, I, I was telling you a long time ago, Laura Shin lost her luster. Sorry, Laura, if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, you're also not a fan of Epicenter. Can we shit talk podcasts on this podcast? Is that we, allowed? We probably shouldn't. We probably shouldn't. But okay. But that one Epicenter was my favorite podcast, and then and then is is it now? Well, no, because POV Crypto came around. Okay. Well, you can't Anyways. say your your own podcast is your favorite podcast. Well, what other podcast? What other podcast is it? If I if I okay, the one podcast so that comes I'm up, the narcissist. But... I'm the narcissist here. <laughs> Bitcoin narcissist is specifically around the subject of Bitcoin. Um, there's one podcast that every time it comes on, I listen to it, and that's Hidden Forces. Have you started listening to Hidden Forces yet? I listened to the one with Nick Carter. Yeah, okay, that doesn't fucking count. That's just another Bitcoin podcast in that in that case. Honestly, at this stage in my life, it's mostly Bitcoin podcasts, and then every once in a while, the fantasy football one, football one just because I have so much money on the line this year that I need to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you listened to Into the Ether not too long ago, right? Oh, yeah. I, I need to get Ether ammo. So I listened to Into the Ether. Oh, my God. Uh, it was the... You guys, like, this... this All Bitcoiners should listen to this podcast just because it will so clearly illustrate the differences between how Ethereans think about their blockchain versus how we do. But uh, Danny Ryan, uh, who is one of the key... 
uh, folks around ETH2 development at the Ethereum Foundation did an interview uh, on Into the Ether, and nothing ha- nothing since then has made me more bearish about Ether than listening to this podcast. Oh my god! Like, I like in my head, I was just listing off all the things that like. Oh, we're gonna have we're gonna know who all the, who all the validators are. That's gonna help with efficiency. Like, oh, we're we're we are still figuring out, you know, how we're gonna connect these shards on. Like, just like the list goes on, and it's just like, oh my god, like th- th- this project is is so complex. It's insane. He doesn't, he doesn't mean like know their. Th- he doesn't mean know who the who, no, not the people. Like a validator, you're you're not KYCing or or anything. He means like just cryptographically knowing. Obviously, you need to know who the validator set is, right? But now you have a list of validators, and it's not IPs, like their right? names and emails; it's their hashes. You know, it's not that hard to figure it out if you know who their ha- what, like you know, if you know information about them and the set in general. I I think that's actually something that Alex Stokes got into. Uh, when he was on our podcast, uh, when we asked him the tour question. So you guys should listen to that. You should listen to this Into the Ether thing. I'm not even doing a good job. Just listen to the words coming out of Danny's Ryan's mouth, and you decide for yourself what you think about it. It would be cool if we could, like, organize. Totally impossible. But, like, if we could organize, like, the Ethereum and then, the like, like POV crypto, but bigger, more people on both sides. And then we both listen to the Bitcoin standard and like parse it apart and do spark notes of it. And like, this is what the Ethereum size thinks. And this is what the Bitcoin side thinks. And then like, listen to, for example, the into the ether pod would never fucking happen because it'd probably be a waste of time, but at least it would just, it would be a good, like anthropological discovery of the hive mind of each side. Anyways, yeah. that's a, that's a terrible idea. We're not going to do that. Well, no, that's the whole point of POV crypto, right? So we do it. Yeah. yeah, we do it. We do it. All right, where are we at? We're at like 20 minutes right now. What else do you want to talk about? Well, something something Hyperledger integration with Ethereum. That's all I care about that. Uh, and then Compound. Uh, oh, yeah, Dharma and re- Compound. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Dharma revamped. And they are now being this interface to, um, to Compound. Uh, and they, instead of... Uh, what their their product basically I haven't looked at it yet, but their product is basically locking in interest rates. And so if you want to be guaranteed an interest rate into the future, and so like say the interest rate on compound is like thirteen percent, Dharma will offer you ten percent guaranteed. And so whereas compound the rate fluctuates, it'll might maybe it'll go up to fifteen percent, maybe it'll go down to seven percent, you get ten percent either way, and Dharma can pocket the difference. And so it's really for the the long term uh, lender who wants to know exactly how much they're going to get back. Uh, and then Dharma, uh, just pockets the difference for providing that service service. Hopefully they get their math right so that they don't go underwater. Uh, sounds like a risky business, but interesting to see, uh, see it all come together. Brandon, I think one of the product managers from Dharma, uh, put out a tweet, you know, kind of announcing that they were going to use, you know, the most liquid smart contract for doing this kind of stuff rather than try to have their own smart contract. And in that tweet, used the phrase money Legos like six times. So cheers to David for, for once again, starting a, a strong meme amongst the ETH community. Yeah, so apparently Vitalik called Ethereum the financial Lego in 2014. Uh, but I'm, I'm still going to take credit. I don't think I saw that. That was not like subconsciously in my brain. And money Legos is different 
from the financial Lego. Uh, entirely, entirely different concept. So I'm still, I'm still taking that one. Did you see the, uh, I think it's like Open Zeppelin uh, audit of Compound, the, mm-hmm. the smart contract that Dharma... Mm. Oh, yeah, we should talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ties yeah, into... What did you mm-hmm. think of that? Because I've been criticizing money Legos as like, what happens if these Legos are bad Legos? Collapse. Right. Like, what happens if you kick off the kick out the bottom Lego and all the Legos on top fall over? Yeah. Yeah. So, basically, the the report showed that, like... And it, this was already known. Like, if you really are following Compound closely, you already knew this. Um, but there's a there's a back door to Compound to like shut it down. Let me let me pull this up. You guys, this is why I'm a Bitcoiner. For this <laughs> stuff. Okay, summary. I'll read the summary. Overall, this is the summary from Open Zeppelin about the Compound audit. Overall, we are happy with the security posture of the team and the health of the code base. We are pleased to see a range of unit tests and the explicit use of the checks, effects, interaction, coding pattern. We have some reservations about the current architecture, but we are glad to find the team has considered the implications of their threat model with an intention to upgrade the the design where appropriate. Since the system is currently live and holding user funds, we would like to take the opportunity to discuss some of the risks and how are they expected to be managed. Uh, okay, let's skip to the risks. However, in the hands of a... Okay, privilege roles in a future direction. Uh, I'm skipping about halfway down. However, in the hands of a malicious or compromised administrator, these privilege privileges contain the ability to trivially freeze markets, censor transactions, or steal all assets from the system. Well, <laughs> similarly controlled, the price feed... Uh, can be used to steal most, if not all, assets from the system. Currently, the same externally owned account is the administrator f- for all live markets. So yeah, that's like Bitcoiner's worst fear. Uh, that's a pretty big hole. And if you ask me, David, did you know that this hole was here? I would say no, I did not know. But also, if you ask me before I read this, David, do you know that there's not a hole in Compound? I would have also said no, I do not know. And so I, I think anyone lending on lending or borrowing on Compound should at least know that because it's no secret that many of these platforms have a backdoor. The only two platforms that don't have a backdoor that I know of are Uniswap and um, MakerDAO. And instead of having not having a backdoor, MakerDAO has emergency shutdown. Um, but there's no, which is different from a backdoor. And Uniswap is the only one that, that is fully decentralized to the way that, that Bitcoiners would want it to be. Uh, DYDX might be this way, uh, but again, I don't know. All right, all right, Christian, lay it on me. Here we go. I'm so glad that you guys could see my face. If you're watching the YouTube, react to, react to David talking. Honestly, I feel like that right there is enough value to subscribe to our damn YouTube channel. <laughs> but I don't even have anything to add. Like, a company just integrated this smart contract because it was the most liquid, and that is the uh, the satisfactory results of the Open Zeppelin audit. DeFi. Okay. We're in fucking beta. Like, I don't understand why I can't get this through Bitcoiners' heads. We just built this stuff. And if we can't... It's not it's not like Bitcoin where we're maximizing for simplicity. We have complex things that we have to control. It is a terrible idea to issue these things onto the, the main chain without having a backdoor to control stuff if shit goes wrong. And so in the interest of building out highly 
valued structures into the future you we need to be able to build them the right way now it's like you can't skip to building with permanent calcified structures you have to make it malleable at the start and that's what this is now like it's better that ethereum is doing this with like i don't know how much how much total money is in um is in DeFi right now let me let me pull that up it's better that we're experimenting now with 500 million dollars before we end up doing it with 50 trillion dollars like 500 million dollars not that much when we're talking about revamping the whole financial system so like one step at a time like compound compounds like a year old and v2 is not a year old v2 is like five months old or even less than that so like duh this makes sense this is what you do all all developers in the world are used to developing in a way where if they fuck up they can unfuck it up but now we're in the immutable contract immutable code world and so it's too early to permanently issue immutable immutable code onto the main chain we that would be a dumb decision i think this is what or why a lot of bitcoiners will kind of attack turning complete smart contracts is saying that it they're they're never going to be a stage where it's going to be safe not to have a backdoor right and if you don't have a backdoor and something wrong does happen and there's a zero day and a lot of funds get locked up, all of a sudden you bring up this this opportunity for like an attack vector of you know some sort of social engineering or people wanting to fork out that issue so they recover funds or whatever. Um, it happened with the DAO. It didn't happen with Parity so far. Um, we don't know uh, what's going to happen. It's not happening with Parity. I mean, whatever, you know, but we don't know what happens in the future, right? And we don't know how big some of these DeFi contracts happen. And, um, you know, I guess they have to have these backdoors, right? Just just so they to alleviate that potential consensus risk. Um, but does that mean that they're decentralized? Does that mean that they're censorship resistant? I don't know. I think that gets a little bit fuzzy. I think my biggest criticism of Ethereum is that it seems like it's in a constant catch-22. Like, decentraliz- decentralizing but needing to coordinate so that way they can keep building. So it's like decentralizing is one uh, you know, force pulling in one way that makes it difficult to coordinate. You know, That's kind of a purpose of decentralization and, or one of the byproducts of decentralization. And then on the other side is like needing to coordinate so that way you can keep upgrading. So I feel like this catch-22 is I don't see it ending in any way. And I, I feel like it's going to be a, a difficult challenge for Ethereum. Yes, and I and I, I see your point. Uh, I would say that that is specifically contained to the time frame of research and development. Um, Ethereum one is fully de- decentralized. God, Siri keeps going off. Ethereum one is successfully researched, developed, implemented, and then left behind. Like that. That is that has happened. And now we have to just keep on doing it with Ethereum two, and then all the DeFi app developers need to do it with their protocol so it's not like this has never happened before um and what else was i going to say and and like i said like we're ethereum difficulty is for, bomb. huh it's decentralized but there's a difficulty bomb that you might have to fork away by cent- by coordinating right when's the last time that they coordinated a hard fork i don't know um, it, was, it was less than a year ago i think constantinople no no that, right? no it was yeah it was definitely within 2019 so. um Okay, that's fair. But again, like it's it's like a, a hard fork only if everyone's okay with it, which is not like the 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 
calcification of the blockchain to never ever hard fork is a Bitcoin thing. And that's good for Bitcoin and it's bad for everything else. Everything else needs to be able to be adaptable. Like Bitcoin's maximizing for no hard forks. And that provides you, that gives you some peak of value. Uh, and there's no point in Ethereum trying to go after that because like Bitcoin, it, it's not what the Ethereum is. And so now it's time to maximize for the appropriate hard forks, which give you the utility that the Ethereum blockchain gives you. And again, like, so Ethereum is four years old, but DeFi is like one and one half years old. So we really, and in my opinion, DeFi is the whole point of Ethereum. Like you can, you can do other stuff and it will help you do other stuff, but really the cool innovation is DeFi and DeFi is one and a half years old, starting with Dai, and is really only maturing with compound DYDX, Uniswap. Those are the other three big applications I would call them. Um, less than less, less than a year. So like this is shit is super young, super, super young. Um, so we understand that like Uniswap has the capability of being a global Forex market. If it had a backdoor in its first seven months of life, fine. We're going to, we're trying to build really big structures on top of it. I already made this point. So whatever. Man, I, I just hope that the, the time frame really works out. Uh, it would be a shame to, uh, to see some of these DeFi contracts as a case study for um, why backdoors and decentralization are uh, are important, or not having backdoors and decentralization are important. Um, but yeah, enough enough laying it on ETH. Um, in general, uh, I think that I, I mentioned this on Twitter with David, but like I was saying, if you own any Bitcoin, you're a Bitcoiner. And David was like, "Well." What if I don't identify as a Bitcoiner? I was like, well, you're a lot more Bitcoiner than most most pre-coiners or no-coiners. So um, I'm trying to expand the definition of Bitcoiner. I want to make this a more inclusive uh, community. Even if you're not part of the like Bitcoin maximalist community, you can still be a Bitcoiner. Uh, there's many communities that use Bitcoin, including a lot of people in the ETH community. If you own Bitcoin, you are a Bitcoiner. So... My mom owns Bitcoin, but I hold it for her, and she doesn't think about Bitcoin most days. Is she a Bitcoiner? Uh, I mean, like, if she's like, here, David, here's some money, do stuff for it and make me money, then I would say no. But if, No, no, no. It's specific. She knows she buys. She knows she owns Bitcoin. Yeah, then either. she's a Bitcoiner, 100%. Okay, well, then it just doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> Let's get everyone skin the game, baby. I'm not a us dollar coiner because i have dollars in my bank so the or us dollar I? is not voluntary though bitcoin's 100 percent voluntary okay that's a good interesting point still it's also it's kind of the thing is like who the fuck cares like not only only bitcoiners today's bitcoiners not your definition of bitcoiners only bitcoiners care about that like you you guys are just trying to impose your what you care about onto other people I mean, I think that uh, people have their their reasons. A lot there's like this meme. Mm -hmm. I came for the gains. I stayed for the sound money. Or I stayed mm -hmm. for the Austrian economics. So uh, I think Bitcoin helps you wake up. I think crypto and blockchain or whatever it's all part of this rabbit hole that shows you uh, that your preconceptions and the narrative about the world that we live in isn't necessarily true. So that's what I'm trying to capture when I say we're all Bitcoiners, right? Because when you buy Bitcoin. Um, and God forbid, if you buy ether or shit coins, like you, you, you are declaring that you're going to put some skin in the game outside of, 
the convention. Uh, so I think that that's beautiful. And I love that Bitcoin is like the Kleenex of the cryptocurrency space because it gains all that name recognition. And I think that uh, that is going to help with Bitcoin's specifically BTC's uh, positive feedback loop. And, you know, I love all that. I'd love to see a skit where a Bitcoiner goes into a party and starts to talk to people and inevitably blings up that he's a Bitcoiner because that's something that I would do. And then somebody responds to him saying like, oh, yeah, I have like 13 cents of Bitcoin that I you know, have in this wallet that I bought three years ago. And the guy goes, oh, you're a Bitcoiner, too. How do you feel about steak? <laughs> and the guy's just going to be like, what the fuck? What is going on? I'm not a, I don't know what a Bitcoiner is. Why did you ask me about steak? That would be a very funny, very funny <laughs> skit. Honestly, SNL, pick this up. You heard it first here. POV Crypto. Yeah. Should we should we call it off? Um, here? Yeah, we can call it off. Uh, you can find the show at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can also find me in Tel Aviv at Scaling Bitcoin, at Baltic Honey Badger, at Bitcoin is... I'm making the world tour of Bitcoin conferences. David, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me September 5th at Bad Jimmy's Breweries talking about Ethereum as an alternative financial platform. Uh, Christian will be there as well. Uh, that's in Ballard in Seattle, Washington. Uh, two beers if you buy a $6 ticket, uh, which is a deal because beers are like $6 there. <laughs> uh, and then you can also find me also in Tel Aviv, not with Christian, like three days after Christian's there uh, at the Ethereal Summit talking about uh, Ether as a triple point asset, the role of Ether in Ethereum, uh, the coming world of DeFi. going to be a super interesting talk. Uh, and actually, if you come to my meetup at Bad Jimmy's, you will see most of it, but not all of it. Uh, and you all can also find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Please rate and review the podcast. It is super valuable to us. We love people who do, who, uh, do it. Shout out to Kenny Rowe, who is the last person to do it. Uh, if you become our 76th reviewer and ping us, we will talk about you and give you high praise. Yes, it's the easiest way to get mentioned on the show. Five-star <laughs> review and comment, please. And comment. Four-star review, you get nothing. Don't be the second person who gave us a four-star review. It's pretty unacceptable. I'm pretty sure it was a slip of the thumb. Slip of the thumb. They meant to hit five stars from the accent. Four stars. Just fat finger it. Fat finger the four star. <laughs> All right. Peace. Peace. of